Good morning. I hope you slept well. My name is Danae Richardson, and I thank you for joining me in this sacred ritual of waking up purposeful. Purposeful about connecting with God and learning about God. We're getting near the end of a Christmas series that I've been enjoying studying and bringing so much. I'm brought to you today and every day by the fulfilled promise of God in Ezekiel chapter 17. We're going to continue in our Christmas series in Matthew chapter 2. Yesterday, we learned about Herod. We learned that there were multiple Herods in the Bible, and, and I hope we learned to place them, who was who. Uh, but because of Herod the Great, who is the first Herod mentioned in the Bible, because of him, uh, we get this scripture, starting in verse 13, when they were departed, they being the wise men, when, once they left Mary and Joseph, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. So this was a night crossing. This was under cover of darkness. And that's an amazing uh, picture of Joseph being that protective, being that aware, that in tune with the guidance of the Lord. Verse 15, the family was there until the death of Herod. And while this was inconvenient, it fulfilled scripture. Verse 15, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Uh, so I, I, let me amend yesterday when I was speaking about Herod, I, I, I Toward the end of the podcast, I pointed out that I had only researched the population of Bethlehem and not the the coastal towns, but I have done that further research. And um, the population of that whole area that is mentioned would have been under a thousand people. Anyway, let me get back. So Joseph and Mary and Jesus escape into Egypt in the middle of the night. And so I want us to look at what this would have been like. And in order to do that, we need to go back several hundred years before Jesus was born. So the one thing to be aware of is that by the time Mary and Joseph had arrived in Egypt, Jewish people had already been living there for a long time. Uh, if, if you're not a studier of history and archaeology and so forth, 
and you are only a student of the Bible, you kind of leave the idea of Egypt when Moses brought the population of Egypt of Israel out of Egypt. And of course, then you've got the story of crossing the Red Sea and all of those things. But, and so you kind of stop the thinking of Egypt at that point and all the focus, the spotlight keeps following the children of Israel. And as a biblical scholar, uh, you don't really think much about Egypt and until now where Mary and Joseph go back into Egypt. But there was actually a large population of Jewish people that had been living in Egypt for a long time. Um, and you find that beginning in the Old Testament. It's written in Jeremiah 43, and it's also mentioned in 2 Kings 25. I'm, I'm going to read 2 Kings 25, 26. All the people, both small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and came to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldees. So about 300 years before Christ, and, and remember, there's about four, we call it 400 years of silence between the last word of the Old Testament and the first word of the New Testament. There's about 400 years where the children of Israel are not getting a fresh word from God. And about 300 years before Christ, during this time where, you know, the, the Lord had been telling the people of Israel through the prophets, you're going to be taken into captivity because you have left the instruction that, that the Lord had given them because they left that instruction, the Lord said, and they didn't just leave the instruction. They, they had begun to worship the gods of the nations around them. And so the Lord said, you know, I've been protecting you from suffering the natural consequences of all of these wars that naturally go on every year. They had, they had a season of war. When the weather was good, they all went to war. Whoever was the winners of those wars, they got to keep the land. And so this was a common thing. But the children of Israel were kept from this because they had the protection of the Lord. But as soon as they left worship of the one true God and started worshiping all the gods of the nations around them, God said, God warned them for a long time. And then he said, finally, okay, if you're wanting to be like the people around you, I'm going to let you suffer the consequences of being like the people around you. And so that's what we find here. And there were about 120,000 Jewish captives taken to Egypt. And, and um, besides those 120,000 Jewish captives, over the course of time, those captives, uh, you know, they, they kind of formed a community, a way of life. And then there were other Jewish people who were attracted by the, 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 the fertility of the soil. There were, it was a good farming land. And also the government was very liberal 
and allowing people who came from other lands to be their own people. And so many other Jews immigrated there of their own accord. And by the way, those 120,000 Jewish captives were freed by a ruler named Philadelphus. So the Jewish people, by the time Mary and Joseph immigrated there, the Jewish population was about 35% of the city's population. And this would have been the fulfillment of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah 29 had written a letter to the people. Again, this is about 400 years before uh, Christ was born. But he told them this captivity is going to be long. And I would say... (laughs) More than 400 years is indeed long. This captivity is long. He's told them, go ahead, build houses, live in those houses, make them your own, plant gardens, eat the fruit of your garden. You're going to be there for a long time. Jeremiah had had prophesied that this was going to happen. So by the time uh, Mary and Joseph arrived in Egypt, Egypt was Roman ruled. Those, those pyramids were ancient even to the Egyptians. And um, Augustus was the emperor in Rome, which was what we now call Italy. Um, but Gaius Turanius ruled in Egypt. And just to give you another placement in history, we all uh, tend to know who Cleopatra was. Well, Cleopatra was born about 69 years after Christ. So the way things were functioning in Cleopatra's time, 69 years is not a very long time. So that would have basically been how things were functioning when Mary, Joseph, and Jesus would have been there. Um, About 300 years before Christ was born, Alexander the Great conquered Egypt. And following the conquests of Alexander the Great, Egypt was taken over by Greco-Macedonian dynasty. And the, they began to rule from the city. It was a new city that um, Alexander the Great, who was um, uh, Greek, uh, it, it was a new city that they named Alexandria. And so that's where we start to get Greek pharaohs. And these Greek pharaohs communicated in Greek, and the country itself became more and more bilingual and bicultural. And that process continued into the Roman period. And the Roman period is where Mary and Joseph and Jesus um, would have uh, come about. And so um, by the time Mary and Joseph would have come in on the scene, you would have had the popular gods of uh, Egypt being Serepsis and Isis. And the Roman empires represented themselves as the successors to the pharaohs, and they continued to build temples in the Egyptian style and worship 
the gods of the Egyptians. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have come into this environment where um, there was a plurality of gods. The culture would have been nothing like this you know, this idea that, that we worship one God, Mary and Joseph would have been in a very, um, foreign to them culture. Uh, it would have been very uncomfortable for them. I know for myself, when I go and visit another country, I personally have a, a time period of about two weeks. And then I, I just, I have to go home. <laughs> that's that's when I hit my emotional breaking point um, is after about two weeks. And so, you know, uh, in, in the same way here in the United States, you'll have, we have immigrants who, uh, those immigrants who have the same language tend to find each other. And then they, they kind of are able to bring as much of their home and create that as closely as possible here in the United States, Mary and Joseph would have had that as well. They would have found those that spoke their uh, Aramaic or Greek language languages, and they would have been able to, you know, get as close to home as was possible. Star has has just woken up from a nap and is grooming herself and her collar is jingling like crazy. I'm going to take that off so it's not driving me crazy. Um, so it, in the same way that for me, when I'm in another country, you know, I go and I psychologically am aware I'm going to be eating their foods. I'm going to be uh, sitting and and conversing the way they converse and that varies from country to country. Um I was just in Europe and that's a very, you know, western style of sitting in regular chairs like we sit in in the US and um you know, but it's still different. Um when we were in uh France, the it's very different. You just because they're they're Caucasian the way I'm Caucasian, they're not the same. It's not the same. Um, you know, they the culture of the USA is to for the weekends businesses to be wide open. And, you know, going to a store on a Saturday is um very hectic because everybody's at the store on a Saturday. That's how things are where I'm at in the USA anyway. Um, I know it, it's hard for, for people who don't live in the USA to realize that there there's a different culture across the state of Florida. Just because you live in Florida doesn't mean everybody is the same. The north of Florida is very different from central Florida, and those are very different from the south of Florida. Um, and and then you've got Georgia or Alabama, and their cultures are very different from Florida. It, it's amazing, the differences of culture. And then within states, the differences of culture. And when I when we were in France, it was so, so shocking to us because we were there for the weekend and um, we arrived on, uh, I think we arrived on 
Thursday morning, maybe Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I can't remember exactly. But, you know, we were expecting the weekend to be, you know, very busy. And it was dead. We're talking about Paris. We were in Paris on Saturday and Sunday. And the same restaurants that were open Thursday afternoon were shuttered the entire street. <laughs> it's like being in New York and nothing being open on Saturday. It was so shocking. Um, so, you know, things are different. The, the attitudes, like we found, um, we found people who worked in stores uh, to be very like, you know, take care of it yourself. Like, quit asking us where things are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say I've as a person who has been in another country and as a person who um you know lives and works here if I I have I in both situations I have been in in situations where because of the language barrier you just kind of give up like you know we're making things worse by trying to figure out what each other is saying one or the other is getting irritated and frustrated and embarrassed there is a i have i have been in situations where because of the language barrier either the person trying to speak english is getting embarrassed because they're not making themselves clear and vice versa i'm not being understood and that's another thing that causes embarrassment that we're doing our best and it's not working so there's so much in an element where, where there's a language barrier. And, um, you know, I just, I can just see Mary and Joseph trying to make do and trying to function. And this is why it's common for immigrants of the same language to find, they tend to find each other and, and make, life a little easier for each other, but it's still not home. And, uh, you know, so some of the things when you travel internationally, you experience, um, you know, for me, I get weary that I can't read the signs, you know, just not knowing where I'm headed and not knowing, you know, that, that, that sign written in another language is especially when I am in um uh Asia because the signage is in the we call them characters um you know that it's it's not our a b c d it's and you you can't read those signs um even anyway it things you get weary even with signage you get weary with it after a while and then ingredients for recipes okay so they're not selling um they you know I, I'm trying to think I don't I don't eat many uh sweet snacks I don't keep them in my house because I'll, I'll eat them all <laughs> but I'm so I'm trying to think so uh what is prepackaged snacks? Um, Swiss cake rolls. Swiss cake rolls. When I was a kid, my mom always had Swiss cake rolls in the house. Okay, so they don't sell Swiss cake rolls, but I have a taste for them. I'm craving them. Fine. I'll figure out how to make it myself. I'm going to get online. I'm going to Google a, a 
a hijacked recipe from somewhere. And I'm going to try to make this Swiss cake rolls, you know, in another country. Well, finding those ingredients is not easy. And when you find a flour, it's not the kind of flour that you're used to having in the United States or wherever your home is. And that same thing happens when with my immigrant friends that have come to the United States. Uh, I've got uh, several Chinese friends and they they tr- they can make recipes from home, but it's not exactly right because what the ingredients that they're able to access is not exactly what they can get at home in China. I have friends in Thailand. Um, uh, the, the wife is Thai and the husband is American, and she may try to make recipes for him that are like recipes that he grew up with here in the States. But again, the ingredients are not the same. The fruit is not the same. It's just not the same. And so for one, I want to remind us that um, when you encounter someone who has immigrated here from another country, um, be kind to them. <laughs> they are daily. I It truly blows my mind because my threshold is two weeks. <laughs> when When I encounter people, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. These friends of mine that have moved here from another place, oh my goodness, you know, they are, that they have exceeded... <laughs> My two-week threshold just brings out compassion in me. I don't know how they do it. You know, they are amazing. And, you know, I'm, whatever brings them to this country. Um, for some of them, it's education. A lot of my um, Chinese friends... They've come for education. Education is so important for them. So their children have started, they wanted their children to be educated here. And then they further that education into career opportunities. And then I have other friends that have come from maybe the islands or um, Spanish-speaking countries. They've immigrated here for work. And you know, I know there's these issues of illegal immigration. And, and of course, my friends that have properly gone through the ropes, the immigration becoming a legal immigrant here is a lot of work. And I have, I have been through the process with them. It is years of work. And, um, Anybody that has migrated here, I have so much admiration for them, you know, the work that they go through and and it calls on my compassion. <laughs> oh, it just calls it out of me. I I can't help but have so much tenderness and and need to show them as much kindness and understanding as I can muster. And so just putting that in the mix and then trying to put Mary and Joseph in those shoes. You know, they they lived in Egypt 
for a long time. And even though they, I'm sure they attach themselves to a Jewish community there, just like my Asian friends, they find their, their others who are also Asian, whatever uh, ethnicity it happens to be and language it happens to be and Hispanic and so forth. You know, they find their, they find as much comfort zone as they can. It's not home, but they find as much as they can. Um, and Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have done the same. And we don't know how long that was. But what we do read, we pick back up the story in Matthew 2, verse 19. When Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. My goodness. We do know that that Jesus was still a child. Uh, Verse 20, the angel said to Joseph, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Verse 21, he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. I don't know how long of a time period this was. I do know that at 13, um, they consider uh, the boys to become young men and they are still referencing him as a child. So he was younger than 13. We also know that at 12 years old, um, they were definitely in Israel because we have the story of Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and it, there is no mention of the other children that Joseph and Mary had together. And so I assume that it was not very long. Um, I'm sure a quick research into Herod's um, death would give us an idea, but he was still a young child. At verse 22, but when Joseph heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So he didn't want to go to Judea because of this man that he was there being warned of God in a dream. This Joseph man, him and his dreams, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Verse 23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. I want to wrap up today pointing out that being in the will of God does not mean life is luxurious. It's important that we not get caught in the trap of the idea that that seems like those who are living in luxury with wealth who have life going perfectly that's the will of god it's important that we understand that being in the will of god is sometimes inconvenient and uncomfortable And it's important to stay close to God's presence during uncertain times. Don't get bitter when life gets hard. Don't get resentful and get in a place where you turn away from interacting with God, seeking God. It is so wonderful that Joseph 
kept his spiritual connection with God even through this difficult time. This was not how Joseph had planned out his life. This was not what Joseph envisioned for his future. He was in a very uncertain situation. And yet he kept his ear, his spirituality open to the voice of God. And it was that connection with God that was able to cause Joseph to be the protector he needed to be. Being protected by God's wisdom is priceless. Having that guidance is far more valuable than than sitting in a lap of luxury. Having the the voice of God lead you and guide you on a day-to-day basis, basis is priceless. It's priceless to have the voice of God. It is more important and more valuable to have the voice of God guide you through difficult times than to be in a palace of luxury and never have the voice of God guiding you. It's important to stay close to God's presence during uncertain times. I'm going to have one more podcast following the Christmas series, and then I'm going to take a break for the celebrations of Christmas. I so appreciate you joining me for this podcast. I hope that having these insights into history and helps you to better understand all that Christ did all the price that was paid for us. Please share this Christmas series with others. You'd be surprised how much people do not know about the Christ, about the birth of Christ and the life of Christ. And Christmas is a good time to take time to learn about it. God bless you.